person and I have a lot in common where this is our second careers. Um, we both were um, employed in the secular workforce prior to coming um, into ministry. We both preached our first sermon without taking a sermon class. And so, but one of the things I know is I just love this man's passion for the Lord. If you talk to him, it just oozes out of him. And so without further ado, I'd like to introduce Marco Seto. Let's give him a warm welcome. All right. Now let me pray for Marco before he preaches. Gracious Heavenly God, Father, we thank you so much for Marco's life and your anointing on his uh, life as well as his family. And Father, we know that he's probably nervous right now, but Father, let him know that um, his authority does not come from himself. His authority comes from you and your word. And so, Lord, we know that you'll give him the words to say, and you've already done that. And so, Father, just allow him to um, speak what you've already placed on his heart. And so, once again, we thank you for his life and ask that you would continue to guide and direct his steps. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Good morning, Mission Valley. How's everyone doing today? Got a little upgrade with my mic here. I usually have one of those doing an announcement. So it's a lot of, it's a different experience today. But before I get started, I just want to um, thank the Mission Valley family. As Pastor Dave was saying, he was actually the first person I met here in Mission Valley five years ago. And I know my wife, my beautiful wife, Amy, remembers that as well too, where I think God really orchestrated for us to meet Pastor Dave. And when I first met, I was like, cool. I met a senior pastor because we've been going to other churches before, and it's hard to get access to the senior pastor. And then God placed Pastor Dave right in front of the worship center. So thank you so much, Pastor Dave, for everything. Uh, he's been a great, great mentor to me, a father figure. And also just it's incredible like how he's able to uh, prepare messages week in and week out. I don't think we give him enough credit. It's tough. You know, this is my first one ever, and... It's a lot of work, right? And then Pastor Phil does an awesome job. So I just want, um, let, let, let's get up for pastors, Dave and Pastor Phil. I see firsthand how hard it is. So it's, it's been amazing. Um, but it's been an amazing journey for my family and I. We've been here five years now at Mission Valley. Um, and as I mentioned before, I have friendly people reaching out to me when I first got here. Like Randy Gucci, I know he's there. Uh, Bob Hirose, he's not here today, but they reached out to me. You know, we talk, started talking about USC and UCLA football, and later I got connected to a small group, and three years ago I got baptized here at Mission Valley, right? So praise God on that, right? So I love you guys. This is my home church. It's an awesome, awesome privilege to be just able to preach. You know, I take this seriously. This is um, you know, this is nothing to take lightly. This is an honor, and just thank you so much for um, just supporting uh, myself and my family for the last five years. So before we get started, can we open up in prayer? Dear Father, uh, we thank you so much for this day, Lord. Thank you so much for this great family that we have here at Mission Valley, Lord. I'm just so thankful for these great brothers and sisters. I just pray that you'll be with us. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to join us, Lord. Just bless our time together. We thank you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so today's 
topic is called Call to Courage. It's pretty cool, or I don't know if it's cool, but right now I'm a nervous wreck. It's the most terrifying thing to go through, right? And coincidentally, our sermon title is Call to Courage. That must be God working, right? Right? So hopefully I could be human testimony today for the next 30 minutes or so. But here in Mission Valley, you guys probably thought, oh man, Mako's not doing announcements. He's not going to mention the core values. But you guys guessed wrong. We're going to mention the core values. I love our core values. Right? So at Mission Valley here, we define call as finding, understanding, and living out God's purpose for your life. And for courage, we have it defined as pushing past our fears to live in faith and obedience to God. So those are our core values. And, you know, I, as, as, as I was studying Esther chapter 4, oh, wow, sorry. This is embarrassing, huh? First time. I didn't lower my phone. It's my wife calling. You want me to pick up? Let me pick up. Let me pick up. Should I pick up, guys? Okay. Hello? Okay, can you pretend you're still on the line? Thank you for being part of my intro. Okay, this is kind of staged. I hope you guys know. It's not by accident. You have something to tell me? Oh, yes. So lesson, lesson learned, right, is never ignore your wife's phone call. You'll get in big, big trouble, right? But as Christians, we shouldn't ever ignore God's call, right? So in Esther, you're going to see how Esther's going to respond in chapter 4 to God's call. So if you have your Bibles, if you could please open up to Esther chapter 4, verse 1. If not, we'll have it on the screen. And my version, I like going through ESV. So if you could please open up to Esther chapter 4, verse 1. All right, so when Mordecai learned all that has been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. And he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping, lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. What a horrific scene, right? Do you guys remember what Pastor Dave spoke about last week? The Jews, they found out they're going to be executed. They're only going to have 11 months to live. So you see Mordecai, Esther's stepdad slash cousin who raised her, he's very intentional. He's mourning in front of the king's gate. Do you guys wonder why he's doing that? Anybody? I think the reason why he's there is he wants to get Esther's attention. Esther's the queen of Persia right now. So he's calling out for Esther's attention. And as we go on, Verse 4, when Esther's young woman and her eunuchs came and told her the queen was deeply distressed, she sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hatak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hatak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in the front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him 
and the exact sum of money that Haman has promised to pay the, into the king's treasury for the destruction of Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for the destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. So Esther has no idea. It kind of shows the dynamics of the king and Esther's relationship. They're probably not talking to each other, like how my wife and I are BFFs, right? We're always talking to each other, right? But you see here that Haman, he's the villain of the story. He's the king's right-hand man, his assistant. He's the one that persuaded the king to sign into law to execute all the Jews, right? As we learned last week, Haman's an Amalekite. And Mordecai's a Jew, and they had bad blood between them for years and centuries. So when Haman um, saw Mordecai, Mordecai refused to bow down to Haman. Haman was upset. Not only was he upset at, at uh, Mordecai, but that was the reason for him to execute all the Jews. So basically, Mordecai is telling Esther, you need to do something about this. And let's see how Esther responds. And Hatak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hatak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servant and the people of the king's province knows that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these thirty days. Pretty intense, right? As we see, Esther has many reasons why not to confront the king, right? And think about it. She's been in the palace for five years. She was living a life of luxury. She had the best of everything. She probably had her Louis Vuitton purse, Chanel shades, <laughs> eating po- ahi pokey every day off of Rosemary <laughs> Boulevard, right? Why, why would you want to risk your life, right, when you have everything, right? So... Esther basically tells Mordecai, sorry, I'm not going to get involved. This is too much, right? And also you see the dynamics, too, of, of Esther and the king. The king doesn't even know that Esther's a Jew, and he signed into law for uh, the Jews to get executed. You know, it's like me telling Amy, my wife, like, you know, I'm a Japanese-American Christian. And she's like, really? I thought you were a Russian Buddhist, right? <laughs> like, they don't know. They're not even talking to each other for 30 days. And also, the kicker is, no one's allowed to go in an inner court without an invitation. So Esther has, I mean, yeah, legit reasons not to go see the king, right? Do you guys agree? And as we continue, verse 12, and this is the exciting part. This is the meat of the chapter, but also the book. And they told Mordecai what Esther has said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you escape any more than all the Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, that's the capital city of Persia, and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young woman will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. 
Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Wow. What a way to end the chapter, right? Pretty, pretty, pretty intense here. And basically what Mordecai was telling Esther is that God is God. Like he's going to fulfill Abraham and Moses' covenant. That the Messiah is going to come through the Jewish people. But basically he's saying that if you're not going to do it, God's going to find someone else. But you're going to miss out on this blessing. The blessing means that you're going to die, I'm going to die, and millions of others are going to die. That's the blessing that he was talking about. And how many times in our lives do we miss out on these simple blessings? You know, God would maybe give you a nudge, maybe share the gospel, or do something crazy like preach on June 12, 2016. <laughs> you know? Those kind of things, right? And the important verse is from verse 14. It says, the, the second half is, And who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Right? Pivotal, pivotal sentence in the book of Esther. Basically, Mordecai is telling Esther that God has orchestrated for you to be the queen for this reason. You face improbable odds as a Jewish orphan girl. You didn't even have parents. And yet, out of 50 million people in the Persian Empire, and it was a big empire, extended from North Africa, Libya, all the way to present-day India. It was a huge empire. They actually took over after the Babylonian Empire, and then later the Greeks took over with Alexander the Great, with the Persian, uh, Persian Empire. But Mordecai is telling, yes, God brought you up to this platform for you to make a difference. And, you know, I think God is telling us that we don't have to be the queen of Persia to have influence or a platform. Maybe we're, maybe we're parents, right? Maybe we're um, a basketball coach for our son's team. Or maybe you're a supervisor at your workplace. You know, as a parent, are you sharing the gospel at home? Are you talking about Jesus 24-7? Are you having a small group with your family? Are you praying with your family? Or are you just taking your kids to Sunday school and not even mention Jesus throughout the week? How are you glorifying God with the platform that he's given you? Maybe your coworker is sharing that, I'm having issues with my family. Does your workplace even know that you're a Christian? Or are you kind of like Esther? The king doesn't even know that you're a Jew. The king's never seen you pray or practice any of the Jewish things that they did. And maybe if you're a basketball coach, right? Are your players looking at you? How are you going to respond to stressful situations? Are you going to get upset when... You know, the team's not playing well. Are you going to start getting upset at the rest for getting a bad call? Are you more concerned about the scoreboard than your players? Right? So those are the things that we need to think about. God's given us all platform. And when you reflect back in your life, you'll see how faithful God is. When I reflect back in my life, it's like, I can't believe I'm here preaching. Five years ago, I didn't even know Jesus. And three years ago, I was just baptized, right? So this is amazing. Right? So the book of Esther is really, really speaking to my heart. And also a big part of this chapter is before Esther makes the decision, she relies on her community. She asks for her people to pray, to give her courage and comfort. Right? 
And also, I don't know if you guys picked it up, but it says that she had her own small group in the palace. It says, I and my young woman will also fast as you do. That's the importance of community. Like, we're not meant to live alone as Christians, right? Sometimes we think we're Superman, oh, we just got Jesus, and that's good enough. It's like, no. If you read Scripture in Hebrews, it tells us, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is it the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Right? That's from Hebrews 24 to 25. So my encouragement to you today as well, too, is the reason why I made the commitment to get baptized is because I joined a small group. I had a bunch of men that supported me, like Delaney and Chris Rapp were in my small, uh, small group. If you guys remember, right, that was led by our former associate pastor, Pastor Stan. So community is super, super important. And I think God is reminding us through the book of Esther. And then the chapter ends with a bang, right? She says, if I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. She's like hardcore, right? She's like the first original gangster before like Tupac, Dr. Dre, Ice Cube, right? She's willing to die for a cause, right? You like that, Caroline? Okay. And then she realizes, the change of heart is that she realizes that it's because of God that she became the queen. And that it wasn't of her own doing. And God didn't make her into a queen just for her to enjoy poke all day, you know, look at her purse, enjoying life. God had a purpose. All of us. He give, he's given all of us a purpose. You know, we're not here to live just a comfortable life. And one verse that really spoke to me with Esther's decision to stand up in front of the king is from Matthew 16, 24 to 26. Then Jesus said to his disciple, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Follow me. And as we continue to 25, And for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for many's sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? That really convicted Esther's heart. She realized that she wasn't the greatest treasure, that God was. And she's willing to fight for it no matter what happens. And the book of Esther really spoke to my heart where I could remember Vividly, three years ago, I don't know if Pastor Dave remembers, but he remembered uh, meeting me five years ago on the steps. But I went to his office. Uh, this is before I joined staff here at Mission Valley. I was in hotel management for 10 years. And I was sharing with him, it's like, Pastor Dave, like, I don't know why God has me in the hotel industry. This doesn't make sense. As a little boy, I never dreamed about becoming a hotel manager. I always wanted to be a football player, right, growing up. Like me and my brother, right? We always play catch. I want to be football. I never thought, oh, I want to work uh, you know, at the front desk or you know, be a housekeeping manager or valet manager or anything like that. <laughs> but a year later, my position opened up, and then that's when I realized God had a plan for me. He was preparing me for those 10 years so I could serve here at Mission Valley. It made so much sense. It was amazing. 
right? So, you know, I was learning how to operate a hotel. Now I'm helping operate a church with Pastor Dave and Chet as well, too. But God was preparing me for the whole time. And when I was offered the job, to tell you the truth, I was scared. Just like Esther, it didn't make sense. Financially, I'll be making less. That was my identity. And I felt like I might be just throwing away my career. I put in blood, sweat, and tears in the hotel industry. I worked maybe 70 or 80 hours a week. A lot of hours, right? I invested so much in it. But I felt that God was calling me. I heard his voice. He says, come. Like, but it doesn't make sense. Like, what? like God, like, this doesn't make sense. But I kept hearing him say, come. Come, I need you at Mission Valley. And one story, I know I shared with the board before, that really inspired me to pull the trigger is in Matthew 14 about Peter walking on water. Are you guys familiar with the story? So Peter and the disciples were stuck in the sea. They're stuck in a big storm. It's dark. It's around 3 in the morning. Just waves crashing. They're probably huddled next to each other, holding on to each other, being scared. And suddenly they see it a white figure walking across the sea. And they thought it was a ghost. They thought it was uh, Patrick Swayze from the movie Ghost. No, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Amy liked that joke. But it was actually Jesus, all right? It was actually Jesus. And Jesus said, come, come. And Peter was the only brave one to step off the boat. All the other disciples were scared, and they missed out on the blessing to do something that no one has ever done before. And I can imagine what Peter was thinking. He's like, man, like, I'm already scared. Jesus, you're telling me to walk on water, but like, I've never seen anybody walk on water. I've never walked on water before. But at that moment, he didn't care. He stepped off. How do you think he walked here in life? Like, he was tiptoeing? Or was he like brave? Like, boom. I don't know. That's not the point, right? But the most encouraging part was when Peter, what happens to him? He gets distracted with the waves. What happened? Can someone help me out? Yeah, he, why? He started to doubt. He started to doubt, right? But the most comforting thing from the story is that it says in Scripture, Jesus immediately grabbed his hand. He said, get up. Even if Peter <coughs> excuse me, um, lost focus on Jesus, Jesus never lost focus on Peter. Isn't that amazing? That's super amazing. Isn't that super comforting that the creator of the universe is walking with us? So that gave me the confidence, like, man, okay, Jesus, I'm with you. And the beautiful part about it is, like, we're not courageous because we want to glorify ourselves. If you read at the end of chapter 14, they walked together, and it says that all the disciples worshipped him and said, you are the son of God. You are who you are. And that's the point of being courageous. It's not us to look cool or tough. It's for us to get closer to Christ and bring other people to Christ. That's the main reason that we are courageous. Right? Amen? And as I look throughout the room, I see so many people that are courageous. You know, like Joyce Miyabe, she's our chair of our missions team. But I know she expressed before going to Thailand and Burma that she was scared traveling overseas. But she heard God calling, and she had the courage to go so, right? Even our chairman, Chet Yoshizaki, I know he doesn't like the spotlight. Pastor Phil, can we put the spotlight on him? <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. 
But he gets job offers all the time from the city. He's a well-respected city manager, but he keeps declining those offers because he feels called here at Mission Valley, right, as the chairman of our board. And one person I'm really encouraged she's not here, I wish she was here, is Chiho. Chiho Lo. She's our official board secretary. And she's doing an awesome, awesome job. But I know she shared before where, um, you know, before accepting a job as a secretary, one of the main roles of a secretary is doing what? Minutes, right? And English is not her first language. So she could have easily said, oh, I'm not going to do this. This is too much. Like, you guys understand, right? Like, I would understand. Like, okay, cool. Like, if Nichigo asked me to take minutes, I'm like, uh, I don't know, you know? (laughs) I don't know, right? It's tough, right? It's tough. But she did it. And she's a dang good secretary, right? Can I get an amen from the board? Like, she makes her life so much easier. She's hardcore. Like, in the meeting, she'll bring a recorder. And later on, she'll break it down and write the minutes. And you can see, after she um, accepted a job, that her spiritual life just grew. And if you want to know more about her uh, testimony, just ask her. her stuff. She's not here, so I, I don't want to bring out stuff. But you can ask her. Like, and she's just been encouraging, just like Peter. She's just been encouraging everybody to walk on water and just worship God. And imagine if all of us walk on water together. How awesome would Mission Valley be, right? If we collectively just walk on water and just be able to do things that's never been done before and just trust God, knowing that God is with me. And right now, just to be honest with you, I told you that I was really terrified, but I feel God is next to me right now. You know, and it's super powerful. I mean, just Peter, just, just sharing about Peter walking on water, I just feel like he's with me, you know. So that's my encouragement to you guys. And, you know, my challenge to you, brothers and sisters, and I have a slide for this. I have some questions, three questions. Are you missing out on God's blessings? Just like how Mordecai said that if you're not going to do it, I'm going to find someone else. God is God, right? But you might miss out on the blessing. So when you have the time that, you know, someone's, you know, God's telling you, pray for this person. Oh, it's kind of awkward. Like, I'm at my workplace. Why are you missing out on that blessing? What platform has God given you? I really believe that God's given us each a platform. And I just want you to just write down maybe this week, homework assignment of just your life. And you'd be amazed, utterly amazed on how God is so faithful. And last one is, are you willing to take up the cross? Are you willing to deny yourself for Jesus? Just like Esther. Esther realized that it wasn't her own doing that she became the queen. She stopped treasuring her life and start treasuring Jesus as the greatest treasure in the universe. And I got some time still. But, uh, you know, I just want to share a little bit more, right? I got four minutes, I think, so. Is that right? <laughs> it's like I feel like I'm playing NBA Finals, like 24-second clock. There's a counter right there. But, you know, one person, since my parents are here too. My, oops, sorry. My mom and dad is here. 
And I want to share a little bit of my brother. He's actually, um, <coughs> he's actually preaching right now in Seattle as we speak. It's, it's awesome, right? It's, how, it's awesome how God works. Like we're synchronizing right now, you know. So if he's listening to the message, I'm giving him a shout out. But my brother is my spiritual hero. He's the one that brought me to Christ. Where, um, in case you don't know, my brother, he coaches for the NFL. And so he has a huge platform. He has a huge platform. And um, his testimony is pretty remarkable where, I'm going to share a little bit because he's pretty humble about his uh, testimony. But, um, you know, ever since we were little kids growing up in Arcadia, Apaches, our dream was to play football all the time. And when we got to high school, he was older than me, he's five years older than me, he was just an average player. And don't tell him this, but I probably had a better career than he did. <laughs> you know, I got one league. We won league, and uh, honorable mention all league, Pacific League, right? But, but it's not about me today. It's not about me. All right, sorry, sorry. Pride took over a little bit, you know? But he never gave up his passion to play at USC. That's his dream. As a little boy, um, my dad and I and my brother will go gardening. My dad was a gardener. So he would have a lot of uh, USC customers, and they would talk about football all the time. And I think that's where the passion came from. Um, he didn't get recruited out of high school, so he went to Mount Sac. And um, he actually even walked on to a junior college. And after his playing career was done at Mount Sac, because he could only play to your sophomore year, he wasn't recruited by SC. So he decided to take matters in his own hands. He drove to USC hoping just to talk to the coach. Just talk to the coach. And he sees John Robinson. I don't know if you guys know who John Robinson is. He's a legendary USC coach. And he was hoping, can I just have a couple minutes with you? And you can see how God works in wonderful ways. Coach Robinson actually said, you know, I have time. Let's go up and talk. So my brother shared about his dream of playing at USC. And Coach Robinson, at the end of the meeting, said, can you just write down your address? And a week later, he gets a packet saying, you know, he's invited to walk onto the football team. Right? And it's pretty amazing. And then, you know, he walks on, and his senior year, he gets a full-ride scholarship. And I could always remember him coming home excited, telling my dad, he's like, Papa, I, I got a, a scholarship. And then uh, my dad said, you made me believe in the impossible. And that's when he got saved at USC, senior year at USC. And, you know, after his playing career was over, I think my parents were saying, oh, yeah, well, it's time to grow up, you know, focus on school. You're he had a great time playing football. Uh, he got into physical therapy at USC. Awesome school, right? But he felt in his heart that he wasn't done with football. So he talks to the coach at USC and tells him, can I just volunteer to be your coach? He's like, you don't have to pay me. And then the coach was even telling him, like, you're crazy. Like, coaching so unpredictable. Like, you could get fired next year. So he doesn't listen to him. He drops out of um, uh, the far, uh, physical therapy school, and he joins the staff at USC. And sure enough, the coach gets fired. The coach gets fired next year. And he's devastated. He's like, man, like, I blew it. I'm crazy. I'm crazy. I blew it. And his girlfriend at the time, which is his wife now, said, why don't we go to a women's volleyball game? He's like, why would I do that? But he said that was the best thing that was going on for his life. So it's like, okay, why not? He goes, and guess who was sitting right in front of him? Right in front of him. Pete Carroll. 
Isn't that amazing? Pete Carroll was there. So he basically just introduced himself, and 18 years later, they're together. They won multiple national championships together. They won a Super Bowl. Almost won a second one. We were only a yard away, right? So don't bring it up to my brother when he comes down. Just give it a heads up. By the way, he's coming July 17th, right? But he realized that God was orchestrating all this. Like, these are improbable odds, right? It's amazing. And, you know, I'm so proud of him where last week he spoke three times. And they had practice, spring practice, too. He spoke three times. He knows that he has a platform. He was telling me, he said, Mako, like, when I go to prisons, they don't even frisk me. They're like, your NFL coach, go right ahead. If he wants to speak to a school, come on in, your NFL coach. And that's what he's using, that leverage to share the gospel. And the reason why he said he wanted to win the Super Bowl, it wasn't to like, hey, I got a cool ring. It's for him to tell everybody that even if I won the Super Bowl, that Jesus is still greater than the Super Bowl. That nothing in the world can compete with Jesus. Right? How many people can say that? Achieving their lifelong dream, getting a Super Bowl ring, reaching the pinnacle of his profession, and still saying that's not good enough. So friends, if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you to do so. It's the best decision you will ever make. Best decision. If you want true calling and purpose in your life, it's Jesus. If you want true courage knowing that the creator of the universe has your back, it's Jesus. It's all about Jesus, right? Because before I lived in the darkness, as I shared, I was only baptized three years ago, and I was chasing after all these things. You know, I would be satisfied for a moment, but nothing lasts forever. And these last three years, man, it's been an awesome, awesome ride. And I, you know, I, I, talk, I keep, I don't know, every, every week, do I mention to you, Pastor Dave? We meet every Tuesday, but I keep telling him, like, man, I'm so lucky. Like, I feel like I'm fulfilling my calling. But also, Jesus restored my family life, too. Like I mentioned before, I worked 70 or 80 hours a week. I hardly see Amy. We're kind of like, I was kind of like King Xerxes, and she was like, Esther, we wouldn't talk to each other, right, for a moment. <laughs> right? Well, now she's mad because she sees me all the time, right? <laughs> so I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, Right? But also, the thing I'm most grateful about is that when you, obedi- when you obey God, you're going to be so blessed beyond your imagination. Where well, I'm able to spend time with my son Jordan, my seven-year-old son Jordan. If he has a basketball game, I'm able to go, right? You know, Pastor Dave and Chet, they gave me enough, you know, flexibility where, you know, if, if Jordan has a performance, let's go, I'm there. Before, there's no way. If I'm on duty at the hotel, there's no way I can leave. I have to be there. Right? So my encouragement to you is just trust God. Trust his voice. And he's going to amaze you beyond your wildest imagination. All right, let's pray.